This is Hashtag Authentic, a podcast for online creatives. I'm Sarah Tasker and this is episode 18. So today I'm talking to Julia from Style on Nylon. Julia is a journalist turned fashion blogger, so I was really interested in finding out how she sees blogging fitting into the wider world of journalism, and also what skills she's brought over that she uses for communicating directly with her audience. We also talk about podcasting and being a self-taught photographer and the power of owning your own audience. But before that, I need to tell you that my new course, Bloom and Grow, is now open. So some of you might already know about my main course, The Insta Retreat, which is a full tell-all, start-to-finish guide to killing it on Instagram. Bloom and Grow I've written to complement that. So it's at a lower price point, it's just £95, and in it we really dig into what makes beautiful, engaging imagery and get you charged up on inspiration and just out there shooting. So if you'd like to read more, you can check it out at meandorla.co.uk forward slash bloom dash grow. And I will also link to it in today's show notes. Okay, let's get on with today's chat. Hi, Julia. Hi, Sarah. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm really excited. I'm a little bit nervous about this uh, interview today. <laughs> you don't need to be nervous. You have your own podcast. That's true. Well, I'm just very used to being the one who uh, asks the questions, I think. I'm not going to grill you too much. Don't worry. For anyone who's not met you before, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, my name is Julia Rabaudo and I am, I suppose I'm a full-time blogger now. I used to be a freelance journalist and I started my blog, which is a kind of fashion lifestyle travel mix of everything in 2012. And it grew from a kind of, um, not, not a hobby, it was an outlet. I was on maternity leave and I wanted something to do. I just started getting into photography and it grew as something quite sort of small and part-time when Gus was napping into every hour of the day now of my life. <laughs> it's taken over completely. Did you ever go back to work then for maternity leave? No, I didn't. <laughs> I kept, I think when I started the blog, I, I had a, in 2012, I think it was definitely this, there was a moment when people were realising that blogs were certainly an interesting area and that maybe there was something that people could turn into a business potentially. And I didn't start it with that in mind, but sort of after a few months, I saw that potential. And I just kept thinking, if I just give it another couple of months, another couple of months mm. before back to freelancing, I just want to see where this can go. And a couple of things happened where I realized that I could maybe transfer my my freelance journalism life to a kind of freelance blog life, blog existence instead, which for me was attractive because I absolutely love freedom when it comes to my work I'm, I love to work flexibly I like I'm very spontaneous and I was never very good in an office job which is why I went freelance to begin <laughs> and when you become a parent I'm sure lots of people can relate to this suddenly finding a job that fits around those parenting responsibilities becomes a priority as well absolutely I mean I in a way I'd bizarrely gone freelance maybe I'd be already been freelance five or six years before I started the blog and I had almost done that with having a family in mind I always knew it would be useful to be a freelancer if I wanted to have a family as well mm. with that lifestyle I wanted that flexibility yeah and the blog has given me even more flexibility because the deadlines are my own deadlines the content only needs to be approved by me and so it just it was like next level <laughs> flexibility so in many ways what you do now is not that different to what you were doing before would you say I don't see it as any different at all and I think maybe that's I think there are a group of bloggers at the moment who have come from a sort of journalistic backgrounds they've worked in newspapers or magazines and 
just see it as a kind of extension of what they did before. You're kind of creating content, you're coming up with ideas, you're networking, you're meeting people. It's, the skills that I'm employing for my blog are really no different to what I did as a freelance journalist. The only difference for me was that I added in the photography and, and that I suppose I sort of, I see what I do now as well, mainly photography, but with writing as well. So it is 50-50. I, I feel absolutely thrilled that I can do these kind of two I have these two creative outlets and I can combine them together in a way that looks and reads nicely hopefully the photography is really key though isn't it I think if you're trying to set yourself up as an online brand I hate that term actually but it's hard to know what else to call it because it's so visual and people need that visual hook to get into your words however good your words are would you agree with that I would totally agree and I mean I, I suppose I was lucky in the sense I mean I used to think I was a very new blogger at the time but now I almost consider myself an old blogger or certainly people I meet like oh my god you've been blogging for ages and I had the luxury of exploring and developing and making mistakes I mean my first I, mean, I had no idea about branding to begin with at all and that's just something that's come with trial and error over time and it's probably only this year last year that I would consider that I've got a visual aesthetic which I feel good about and that I'm proud of whereas before I, I had no idea what I was doing I didn't I didn't come from a, a visual background and what I've, I've always found very interesting is when you see graphic designers and stylists set up online they have a very strong visual identity right from the beginning and I never had that I had no idea what I was doing at all but you must have always had an eye because a large part of what you do is obviously fashion and outfits and I've followed you probably since the early days of your Instagram I think and your outfits have always caught my eye I just like to shop (laughs) (laughs) really I honestly I just you know I never wanted to write about fashion I never wanted to go into fashion magazines that was never a goal of mine I mean I wrote I've, I got into journalism because I have I had and I still harbour long term plans and goals to be a, a writer, a novelist. I want to write books and journalism seemed to be the right direction to go in for that. I wasn't drawn to fashion per se and I certainly avoided fashion magazines because I knew that they're quite tough mm-hmm. and it wasn't really a world I wanted to be in however I've just had I've always had just a terrible shopping habit I love clothes <laughs> and that was my indulgence when I started the blog I was like this is where I can you know indulge myself in my love of clothes and shopping and yeah <laughs> and it paid off I guess so yeah I think people like to see I think people are just interested I mean as we see people are massively interested in other people's personal style but I think a lot of that is also because people find you know us you know real people the non-models out there looking okay in clothes this can be massively inspiring and a way for people to connect and really go oh yeah I can wear that I mean I I think a lot of my followers are probably get that I'm quite little I'm really short I'm five foot two and I lots of my questions like where did you get those jeans from because you know shopping for trousers when you're really short is not easy (laughs) and your denim is always amazing by the way I'm always thank you I'm not a denim person and I always look at your pictures and think maybe I should buy those jeans and then I think no Sarah you don't wear jeans so what kind of skills do you think you've brought from your journalism days over to the blog you've said the writing yeah, I mean, I think I've always just, I mean, because when I got into the blog, it was exciting for me because I was i was learning, discovering photography. So I was, that's where the experimentation for me was. But I, you know, I, I suppose I took it for granted that I could craft 500, 1,000 words quite easily in a sort of coherent, sensible way that you know, worked as a narrative. And I just sort of 
took that for granted but it's been very nice as, as I've gone along that people have sort of commented oh my goodness you can really write mm. it's like oh yeah I can write because I, I learned how to, how to do that you know it was I trained to do that and I guess I took that for granted and but I think that really does add something um and it's it is something that you do have to learn. You have to learn how to edit your work. You have to learn to, uh, how to take out the extraneous words. You have to learn to make your sentences digestible. And I do that automatically without really thinking. And, and for me, the learning curve was with the photography. I mean, one of the things I did as a journalist was I did a lot of interviews. Um, I interviewed actors, musicians, writers, artists. I absolutely loved it. And initially, I thought I could bring that over to the blog. But whenever I did a long hand or you know a long form interview on the blog there was never really a good response I could see that people really didn't want to read a long interview mm. so I felt a little bit like oh I have to just leave that aside forget about that and I crafted a kind of interview piece into a much more digestible piece of writing which was the five things you should know about because I realized actually people on the whole want to look at photographs online and just get sort of snippets of information yeah they don't want to read a 2,000 word <laughs> interview. <laughs> yeah long form content we're all we've all got short attention spans these days I mean what's been nice you know this year with the podcast I mean you started it I was like oh my goodness I could do that and I could see actually that doing the interview could just take a new form it, it mm. could exist and because people are just suddenly really massively into podcasts at the moment, you're realizing that people are happy to listen on a jog while they're gardening, while they're doing the washing up, that this was a new way to deliver that content. Yes. And this is this is kind of a radical transformation for me because long form content, like you say, had no place. Like if I wrote a blog post that took you half an hour to read, no one's going to read that and I don't blame them. But if yeah. I sit and read that blog post out to you on a podcast, you can do it. You can listen to it while you're washing up or while you're out for a jog or you're walking the dog. And suddenly it's a whole new window that we're able to share through. Completely. I mean, I've just been getting tweets this morning from people who've been listening to the mo my most recent podcast with Jay. And it's just they're interacting, responding to it and really enjoying it. And it's like, oh, my goodness, I'm managing to kind of transfer that information out to you in a way that I didn't think was possible. I mean, but now there is this kind of new way to do it. So I, mean, I think I mentioned this to you when we had lunch a few weeks ago, which I think is quite funny because a podcast or you know, a, a live recording of a, of a conversation with what we're doing now is normally how I would, was, would normally be the first step of the <laughs> interview process. So I would you know, record it on tape and then I would transcribe it. And trust me, transcribing interviews is the most painfully arduous thing <laughs> you ever do. And then you would write your piece picking out the best bits and craft it into a bit of a narrative and a story yeah. and yeah which pros and cons because obviously it's always incredibly subjective and without fail the person who's been interviewed gets annoyed at how you've portrayed them because it's been your personal take on on what they've said but yeah. also as a journalist you're always trying to find the quote that will effectively capture people's attention yeah you need the story you need the story so if there's one thing that they've said that maybe is a bit I don't know, they, they may have regretted saying, guaranteed that's the one thing you will include. <laughs> or one thing you can take slightly out of context and put in the headline, yeah. yeah so actually, I like the authenticity of these kind of podcast discussions because then it's everybody else can make their own judgments as to what they, they think is important in that discussion. I don't know if that's getting too meta now. No, I love it. it. And it's so it's totally analogue. It's totally back to basics. Yeah. And yet it's something that's new. Yeah. It's an interesting movement. And it's interesting because radio is kind of seen as dying a death. But podcasts have kind of swelled up. 
what sort of got you onto it? Why did you suddenly think I'm going to do a podcast? Um, I was listening to a lot of podcasts in the car uh, when I was doing my commute. Well, not my commute, but driving all the to nursery, etc. I'm finding them hugely inspiring and kind of I have this this kind of brain I don't know if this is how everybody works but I if I listen to something I find myself kind of getting into that mindset so I would be like podcasting in my head when I got home Ah. just mentally (laughs) podcasting my day and so I started to think yeah I could do this I could actually make it into a thing and I'm so fortunate that I have this amazing network of talented fascinating brilliant people to call up like you like everybody who's been on the show so yeah. actually it's a total treat for me because I just get to speak to geniuses oh, that's really- I learn as much from these calls as the listeners do well, I just think it's I definitely think there's been a shift because I mean I now when I'm having conversations with people that I meet like friends old friends new friends if we're talking about something often somebody will say to me oh, by the way I'm actually you know, listen to this podcast that's relevant to what we're talking about which I think is completely new. I don't even think people were saying that last year. No. It's like where, where people previously might have recommended a book, they recommend your podcast. Absolutely. Completely fascinating. <laughs> I love it. It's brilliant. It's really exciting. And it's it's exciting to kind of feel like we're at the front of a new movement, not that podcasts are in any way new. That's the thing. They're not new, but they've had a resurgence. And that's what... That's exciting. So talking a bit about the photography, were you self-taught? Did you go to classes? completely self-taught <laughs> it's just gonna matter I have taken thousands and thousands and thousands of photographs I bought a second-hand camera off eBay when just a little bit before Gus was born because a friend of mine had come back from America and taken the most wonderful shots you know the kind of Grand Canyon and these ah. very awe-inspiring pictures and I was like wow I want to do that <laughs> so I and we had an a LA and a California trip coming up so I bought a camera specifically for that it was it was a old Canon 450 it had a crappy kit lens I and had the 450 <laughs> yeah I mean I, was, I still have it because I kind of I'm too sentimental to get rid of it Same. and it was broken you know like the bits didn't work but and I went we went to the states on this trip and we went to like Joshua Tree and all this kind of stuff and I took like terrible photographs I was so disappointed with them I was like oh. this is I imagined at all <laughs> Um, but that was really the start and I spent the whole two weeks with Miles and his parents and we're kind of sort of road tripping a bit and I just took hundreds and hundreds of photographs and they were all terrible. Like I don't have any of them, <laughs> <laughs> but that was the beginning for me. Cause then I was like, right, this is, you know, I want to be able to do this. How do I do this? So I think when I got back, I sort of started madly researching lenses. I had a very you know, particular thing in mind. I wanted to take photographs with beautiful blurry backgrounds. So I, I researched what I needed to do that. I discovered the world of prime lenses and I bought a, you know, the, the 50 millimeter 1.8 lens. The blogger lens. The blogger lens are like, you know, 80, 90 quid and got going with that in the garden with, with our flowers. Yeah, if anyone's listening and has a Canon DSLR and doesn't have that lens, I'm going to stick the yeah. link in the show notes because it is a game changer for your photography. I mean, that was, you know, that was when I was like, okay, this is, now I understand. Now I can take the photographs I want. And so I just started doing that. And I, I wasn't on Instagram. Um, this is, I swear it was around the time Instagram was starting. I was aware of Instagram and I really wanted to be on it, but I only had an Android phone. So I was on, I don't know if you remember this app, it was called Pick Please. Oh, you no. no, I was never in the Android world. So this was yeah. before Instagram had made it over to Android. Yeah, exactly. And I was on Pick Please and I was uploading all these kind of quite sort of, well, well, a little bit like what I'm doing now. So I'm kind of getting into these lovely airy photographs of flowers with blurry backgrounds. And because I was borrowing like a, I borrowed a, 50, a manual 50 millimeter Nikon lens at 1.2 of a friend of mine. And I was creating these very kind of ethereal blurry shots just sort of 
learning and I was putting them off on pick please and I had this lovely grid and people like it's just the same Instagram people liked it and then it went out of business oh, wow. <laughs> it went bust and I think it's had something to do with the way that Instagram was doing so well <laughs> I was gutted because the whole grid was completely just disappeared one day oh, I mean they that's, that's everyone's worst nightmare but they let you know so I was like oh my god I have to download all my photographs and I don't really have them anymore. I have them probably somewhere in an old hard drive. I have to find them. Yeah, we'd love to see them. <laughs> After that, I think I must have eventually sort of given up. Going, my God, I can't live without Instagram. I have to get into this world. <laughs> I don't really remember my first Instagram moments, to be honest, at all. I don't think I understood what it was about. I mean, I knew that it was a photo sharing app that was better than what I had been on. But I didn't get it. I didn't know. I wasn't creating photos specifically for it I think I was doing those dumb night out photos and things like that yeah because back then none of us got it and yeah it was just kind of another social media platform to hang out on I think yeah definitely but I remember being sort of having one a couple of thousand followers and being aware that I needed more (laughs) (laughs) I remember that moment I definitely need more followers (laughs) that's just a human instinct though isn't it like even if you have no intention of doing anything with it, you see that number and you want it to be higher. And I, I continued with the photography. I just, just guess I, one of the big things for me was that I bought remote control for the photography because I, what, the one thing I did want to do because it was such an indulgence, the blog for clothes for me, that I wanted to try out outfit posts. And sort of six months after I had Gus and I felt a bit more kind of like back to my normal self, I started doing really terrible outfit posts in <laughs> hallway on a tripod because we had a skylight so I understood that I needed it to be quite well lit but I still struggled and my first outfit posts were completely horrendous. Do they still exist? Probably yes but please don't them. <laughs> but I think what's interesting about outfit posts which any any fashion blogger will tell you is that the minute you put yourself out there like that you suddenly your visibility grows um, or people notice you and they see that you're willing to engage or create a certain type of content that might be useful to them so I think once I started doing outfit posts I realized that the potential to work with brands I'd suddenly opened a door and that very much dictated I think the direction that my blog then continued in I mean you know I remember my blog was back in the day when we all had like 25 categories down Right. Yes, I'm everything. <laughs> everything, like you know, cupcakes, travel, travel, <laughs> individual countries. And yeah. like so, and then I remember, sort of, a few years later, going right. I need to rehaul this. I'm going to edit it down to five categories, and I, you know, did a big overhaul of the content, and actually started thinking about what I was presenting. But it took a while to kind of to evolve into that, and and still, I like to think that my blog content is very varied and spontaneous and that there's room for anything that I feel like doing I don't want it to be too constricted restrictive yeah one of the things I say sometimes is to think of your blog as like a column you're a columnist and you are writing your own column and then it can be about absolutely anything because the consistent thing is that it's you yeah exactly and I never wanted my blog to feel like work although it does feel like work sometimes yeah (laughs) but I always wanted it to be free and easy and that if I wanted to write about something or do certain type of pictures, then I would. And after having been a journalist, I think you'll appreciate that all the more because you've not got an editor telling you, no, I want it more from this angle, or we're not interested in that piece, go and write this other one. I mean, I spent my life, I mean, as a, as a freelance journalist, you spend about 85% of your time pitching ideas. 
at 25% of the time actually getting the commission. Mm. It can be quite soul destroying and really hard. And, you know, sometimes you're pitching ideas to magazines that, you know, you have to pretend that you know about things you don't know about. <laughs> you make out that you're an expert in this area. And if you get the commission, you will become an expert. Yeah, you'll go and quickly Google it. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and freelancing, when I was freelancing, it started off fantastically well because it was, it was back in the day when people still had fantastic, you know, there was still flexibility with budget and mm. they were, lots of freelancers were being used for lots of back pages and interviews and things like that. And then when the recession hit, suddenly lots of, um, you know, budgets were being cut left, right and centre and freelance work was just taken in-house. So suddenly there just wasn't, there was hardly any work around. So that was that was really hard. And that coincided with me starting the blog as, you know, I'm going to do something else while I'm on maternity leave, just going to refocus, rethink, maybe I'm going to do something completely different afterwards. And of course, bloggers have in our own way played a part in that kind of decline of print media, I suppose, because we're putting out high quality free content all the time. Yeah, I suppose so. And certainly, I think for fashion magazines, you know, they can't compete with the immediacy of what people can deliver online. And I think the fashion magazines have really struggled to do their own online or even blog versions. They just haven't been able to kind of, I don't know, channel it as quickly in the way that bloggers can. Because of those constraints and that lack of freedom, perhaps, that we've touched on already. Because of of the way that they work, you know, you have to pitch an idea. It has to get checked through by you know five different people who before it gets commissioned and then you have a deadline and then needs to be copy edited and proofread and and of course you have to keep the advertisers happy because the advertising model in something like a glossy magazine is entirely different to the way bloggers work with sponsorships and actually this is kind of a bugbear of mine when people can be quite negative about sponsored content on blogs yeah and yet happily will pay sort of five pounds for a glossy magazine that is 99% advertorial. Yeah, I mean, this is something that I've always found quite difficult coming from the kind of, I mean, I didn't work in fashion magazines per se, I, I, you know, but I, I'm aware of the relationship between brands and fashion magazines because of their advertising connection, which would often reflect on what gets featured in editorial. And I think there's definitely a lack of transparency about that. And I, I, like you, I feel a bit, I feel that bloggers have been slightly hard done by in the sense that, you know, when bloggers are seen to be um, accepting gifts or, or doing sponsored work and it's seen as a negative thing, which I think is really unfair because, I mean, right from the beginning, I've always been very, very transparent about gifting uh, products I've been sent for a review and any sponsored work because I want, I was just very sort of aware that this was the right way to communicate with my readers. and. Mm. I was very surprised at the at the response to the first sponsored post I ever did, which was, you know, I can't even remember what it was. It's just something really, probably badly, I don't know, I don't know, I can't even remember what it was now. But what surprised me was the response was that I got the same amount of comments and I got the same amount of retweets and it had been declared as a sponsored post. And I realised that it was because actually I had put the same amount of energy and effort into creating it as I would any other piece of editorial on my site and that I was actually, I can't remember the brand now what it was, but it meant as much to me as anything else that I was creating on my site and so therefore people responded in the same way. And I think that for me was, it was a realisation that actually, no, blogs can work and you can make money from them and people are not going to be upset by that. Yeah, it's about value, it's about giving your reader the same level of value in a sponsored post as you would in a non-sponsored post. Yeah, and I'm very careful to, and I, you know, it's a tricky world and we all sort of like could make mistakes as we go along, but 
in the end, you want to work with brands who absolutely connect with you, who are the right fit for you. And then you can be excited and passionate to create something um, which is just as good as what you created yesterday that was unpaid. And I, I remember reading somewhere about, you know, the rule of a marketing rule that for any publication that on balance you want to take 80% is editorial, un, unpaid editorial, and 20% is paid content. And I suppose at some level, I've always just tried to stick to that. Because I mean, you don't want to be throwing sponsored content at people every day. That doesn't feel right. And I certainly for I think a lifestyle or fashion blogger, you need to continue to show that you're making your own authentic decisions about what you're featuring, because then people will then believe that you're being authentic about the, the sponsored work that you're taking as well yes so that's another thing that you often see is people only featuring products if they're sponsored yeah and the rest of the time there is zero product mentions I mean that, that I think that's a real shame and especially because I am such a uh, I love things <laughs> I <just laughs> love beautiful things and I celebrate them and whether you know from if it's something that I fall in love with I will celebrate it whether I'm paid for it or not paid for it. It's like the object, the product, whatever it is, it is the most important thing to me. And I love nothing better than discovering small unknown brands and being able to share them with my readers because we don't all have time to go research every little brand mm. might be out there, which is such a shame because obviously big brands, you know, big high street brands, they don't need any help in their visibility, but it's the, the smaller ones who do. Being a mum and a blogger, how do you find the balance I have to admit, since Gutter started school, it's been a lot easier. So we, you know, we went from sort of like two days childcare to three days, up to four days at nursery. So Gus was in four days nursery. And then last autumn, he started school. And just having a kind of full five days, um, I tend to do uh, drop-offs in the morning. And then Miles will usually do the afternoons, which kind of gives me an extra hour past pickup. It's great. It's absolutely great. And I, I feel that, you know, I can get a lot done. But the way that I work, I'm, I suppose I'm over productive I could I could do double the amount of work that I'm I could you know be producing double the amount that I currently do so I have to put a cap on it and I have to just say right okay just step away from the laptops put the camera down just stop creating because I'm just creating more work for myself to to then sort of try and put out there and yeah. I have a constant backlog that sounds familiar yeah I hate having that backlog I really do but sometimes feel like I'm sort of slightly drowning in it and last year, I really felt that. And this year, I've sort of managed to kind of catch up a bit. But I'm, I'm starting to feel the drag again. <laughs> so what does your typical working day look like? Is it kind of shooting outfits? Is it writing? Is it out and about? Yeah, it's, it's a real it's a real mixture. Um, I mean, it's, it's quite good in the way that, you know, I've always been quite structured working from home. I've, I've always sort of, when I first started freelancing, I was kind of make sure I'd be up and ready to sit at my computer at 10 o'clock in the morning, which is <laughs> quite, maybe quite late for some. But I, I'm quite structured with the way that I work. So with the blog, what I try to do is make sure that I've got two to three full days at home so I can edit photographs and actually create content for the blog. I try to shoot one or two outfits a week. Usually I'll meet up with a photographer, friend. This is often Jay McLaughlin who appears on my podcast. Or I'll meet up with another blogger and we'll grab coffee and then we'll shoot each other's outfits. The thing that's very easy to do, especially if you live in London, is that you get invited to, and it's kind of really wonderful, but there are a lot of events going on, lots mm. of press that are really exciting to go to, but you could very easily find yourself spending a whole week just going to events. And I, I've ended up doing this because, you know, it's wonderful networking, you always meet interesting people, and you get home at the end of the week and you're like, oh my goodness, I haven't actually had, I haven't put anything out on the blog at all. No. Um, you're like, ah, 
So this year I've tried to be a little bit more strict and just giving myself two, I need those two, three days at home to create. Plus, you know, I've sort of recklessly taken on doing podcasts and just recently started doing YouTube as well. like what how am I fitting that in and this this week I have actually failed to do I feel a bit bad because I've, I've done one YouTube video a week for the last month and this week I failed to do that <laughs> so well this kind of, will be my this, first ever late out podcast yeah I think we'll kind of just yeah struggle with time constraints it happens and it's just been a bank holiday weekend exactly 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 I did a huge amount of work in the garden which I was really proud of and it's actually quite refreshing just to kind of get offline for a while. Yeah, real life jobs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> bit of weeding, a bit of fencing. So where does Instagram fit into that? Because you've not mentioned that in your typical day. Yeah, and that's really interesting. I mean, I do like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty obs- on Instagram quite a lot, as most people are. But I think what I was, trying to, I was saying to you before earlier, which was that Instagram for me, I don't see myself as, as part of the Instagram community as a fully signed up member because Instagram for me is one of my outposts. So everything for me starts with the blog post. And then once I create a blog post, it has to go out on certain platforms. I can draw people to my blog. And Instagram was certainly started out like that for me. It was just another way to signpost people to my blog. I've since kind of become more involved in creating images just for Instagram. But I would say to begin with, I'd be interested to look back, scroll back through, but I would imagine that my um, Instagram posts were more like, hey, I've just put up a new blog post. And certainly every blog post I put up gets mentioned on Instagram. So I do use it as a traffic driver primarily. But then more recently, I've got into creating more specific content I love coffee shots I don't know why (laughs) yeah what is it about them I love them too (laughs) I love them and it's so weird because I kind of like was caffeine free for like literally 15 years and then picked up drinking coffee when we moved house because um the the house move was so stressful (laughs) oh my goodness like coffee pictures wow they're amazing they're on Instagram and I'm getting into this and I just love it I just find it kind of I find it relaxing to create a coffee image and and post it I really enjoy it I like to think it's a little reminder when you see one it's like oh break take a break yeah take a break just chill out like I don't know it's kind of equivalent of having a fag break if you don't smoke yes (laughs) yeah probably nearly Um, as bad for us but never mind and then recently I mean I mean you kind of really helped me get it started but I started a hashtag my story of light which is kind of really taken off and that's really beautiful and it's very inspirational and I've recently started another one I mean with the photography um, because I use the Olympus pen there are some sort of pen related hashtags which have a kind of community around them so I guess there are these like little community groups that I partake in on Instagram and have a lot of discussions and contact with people which that's what I think I really love Instagram for is actually the chat in the dms and the messagings and the comments and stuff I feel that there is a community of people out there who are really kind and interested and passionate about imagery which I understand they're also quite passionate about algorithms yeah (laughs) Yeah, I mean I I mean I was absolutely gutted when the when the new algorithm came in last year because I have you know relatively small but engaged following and when that was kind of messed with I just felt very thrown because I did rely on it as a part of like, you know, you just, you're like, oh yes, okay, so that platform works in that way and I, I know I can get this mm. amount of engagement and I can rely on that. And to have that kind of pulled out from beneath you is just really felt very treacherous of Instagram to do that to us. <laughs> how How is your engagement now, now that the dust has settled? It's actually pretty good. I mean, it, it, I think they're just troughs and peaks at the moment mm. and I can 
see it happening to people. Like sometimes, I mean, I can see with smaller accounts, I'll scroll through my home feed and I'll see a picture that's been sitting there for like eight or nine minutes. That sounds, maybe that doesn't sound very long, but with no likes on it. And like, that's impossible. How can nobody have seen this photograph? Yeah. And I feel, and then I always feel like really dreadful. I'm like, oh my god, I better go and like it and comment. And I can see it happening to people around me. I can see big accounts who are clearly not getting the visibility that they had, or that they are due because of the people who have chosen to follow them. Yeah. And it's still happening. I mean, there's definitely been some weird up and ups and downs recently where we could all see that the algorithm was reset, and then all the business pages kind of like dropped off the face of Instagram and then were reinstated or whatever and the so-called shadow banning. I mean, there's been so many mini dramas that have gone on. <laughs> yes. And I, but I mean, I think the end result is that a lot of people have felt really let down and I've spoken to so many people who are actually, unfortunately, sadly, disengaging from the platform. Yeah. They've, they've been hurt by it, actually. Yeah, you invest such a lot of time and effort and your heart and soul goes into those little squares. So yeah. it does feel really personal when, when that rug's pulled from underneath you. So people who've just taken time out, which I'm sure was not what Instagram had intended when they started trying to rejig things. I was at a blogging event in Germany a couple of weeks ago, The Hive, and there was a representative from Instagram there. I actually live streamed on my Instagram his segment. Yes, I watched, I watched. And the poor guy, like the questions from the audience were quite vicious at times because people were emotions are running really really high about all of this stuff yeah well they really are that I mean, especially if it's connected to your income which effectively for a lot of bloggers and, and businesses it is like you know how can you charge a certain amount for an instagram when your engagement is a third lower than it was two years ago <laughs> yeah and if you've accrued those followers genuinely through hard work you rightly feel a sort of ownership of them like that is your audience and so yeah. for someone to suddenly take that control of it away from you is yeah. frightening and it's but I, I think that for me I mean you know I, I noticed the ups and the downs at the moment I sort of things seem to have leveled out and I feel that things are kind of like good but I mean I do I do comment a lot I go and visit people's pages and I, I keep the I feel that doing things like being on Instagram stories I feel like I'm doing Instagram live really reinforces the strength of your network and yes. your visibility. I am very active on Instagram but at the same time I'm really enjoying exploring other mediums and podcasting getting into YouTube and just remembering that actually there are other places out there where you can you can make those connections and create content which is just as valid and important. And now is the time to be kind of focusing on that, I think, because as things like Twitter and Instagram become less reliable as a means of communication with our entire audience, yeah. now is the time to be looking for things that maybe can reach them in a different way and can reach a bigger proportion of them. Well, I mean, I, I completely took your advice from one of your podcasts and for the first time, being so against it for so many years, I decided to set up a newsletter. <laughs> <laughs> and you know for a long time I was like why on earth would anybody want to receive an email from me about my blog and this isn't about my blog this is specifically a photography newsletter which I for me I feel that's kind of makes sense it's a kind of valid authentic thing that people might genuinely be interested in yes um, and it's really an alert to when I'm going to be doing next workshops and things that people have told me that they want to know about so that kind of felt okay for me I don't really like signing up necessarily to, to just random blogs and getting blog posts arrive in my inbox mm. I just kind of one step too much I've got so many other things to look at but no I think you're absolutely bang on about that I think it's about creating things that we can have ownership of ourselves and I, I think I'm always quite surprised when I meet 
really big Instagrammers who only have their Instagram platform. And I just feel that, you know, when they, if they have a fantastic following who love what they do, then they should be able to transfer over that following to their own blog. (laughs) Yeah. And it's interesting when that doesn't happen Mm. and it sort of maybe tells you something about the brand as a whole that they've established or kind of what, what that audience is there for. I find it really fascinating because for me, although like in the in the grand scheme of things, you know, my blog is quite small, my Instagram is quite small, but my blog gives me a salary, you know, full-time income. This is where I make my money and I don't make my money from Instagram. Instagram is only ever really, I do very few standalone Instagram sponsored posts. I do, Instagram tends to be part of a package when I've created a blog post, which then gets fed out on mm. different platforms. Um, but for me, the blog is absolutely it's my pillar. This is where it, this is the most important thing for me. So I do get upset about Instagram, you know, the likes going up and down, but I don't, it doesn't, I think it's not where my, um, my self-esteem lies. My self-esteem lies in my blog. So if I, you know, I, I watch these, um, emails come in, which tell me that my blog is people in Chinese software hackers are trying to get into my blog and I have an absolute heart attack you know that's what scares me because the blog is kind of the pillar that holds everything else up I suppose absolutely that's where it all comes from really and if Instagram crumbles tomorrow if it shuts down like what was that app called you were using please yeah if that were to happen to Instagram um you and I know that we have our blog we have our podcast we have other channels that we can rely on really important for people to do and I think, you know, if you're using Instagram as your sole online platform, you should really consider having a backup. I think that might be a perfect place to end this conversation on. I'd love you to come back, Julia, and talk to us more about photography as well, because I know you are a font of knowledge and I have a lot of listeners um, and readers who maybe are still using auto on their camera and would like to get away from that. So maybe we can have you back for that soon. Yes, absolutely. I'd absolutely love to do that. Okay. Where can people find you online? So I'm styleonnylon.com, which is S-T-Y-L-O-N-Y-L-O-N. Um, it's nothing to do with New York, London. <laughs> it's actually bizarrely named after a small music shop in New York, which my husband knew about. And there was a mixtape called Smile on Nylon. And when I was naming my blog, he's, he just thought, why don't you change it to Style on Nylon? And it's just hilarious because nobody knows that. <laughs> I love that. Now we all know it. You all know it's good. Um, Style on Nylon, the blog, and on Instagram, I'm Style on Nylon. So, and on Twitter, though, annoyingly, because I had my Twitter account from when I was a journalist, is my name, which is Julia Ribaldo. And in case anyone's wondering, my dad is Italian, which is why I have that surname. It's a nice surname. I've never heard it pronounced before. And most importantly of all, who is texting you? Ah, that's a good question. I think <laughs> Twitter notifications are uh. coming through. And I think there's a, at the moment, there is a conversation going on about my most recent podcast I did with Jay, which is causing some hilarity because apparently we, it's very funny listening to us interrupt each other. <laughs> <laughs> so. Okay, well, I'm going to go and listen to that now and join in the Twitter conversation. Julia, thank you so much. Thank you, Sarah. You will find the show notes for today's episode at meandola.co.uk forward slash podcast 18 and do hop over to Twitter and let me and Julia know what you thought and join in the conversation with us because that's what we love. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next week. Bye.